Praise God. Hello, everybody. Would you stand with me just this morning? Let's just pray. Get ready to receive the word. I feel I've got a really important word this morning for us all. Just lift your hands as an act of surrender, as an act of submission to the God who made the heavens and the earth, to the God who made us and predestined us for salvation, to God our Father who sent His Son to die for us. Lord, we bow before You this morning. And as every Sunday, God, we crave and hunger for the Word of God to transform us, to change us, to equip us. And we pray you would look upon us in this place and grace us, every single person here, grace us with the good, edifying Word of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Please be seated and and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58, if you will. Isaiah chapter 58. And if you're here for the first time, there's a sheet on your seat. You're going to need it throughout the morning. Isaiah chapter 58. We're doing a series about being church and doing church. And I want to make this the basis of this week and maybe the next couple of times that I share with you here. Isaiah chapter 58, big, big chapter in in Scripture, major portion of the Bible. Follow it with me. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. For day after day, They seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. And exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for the people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day? Acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then... Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and He will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, 
Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise and triumph on the heights of the land and feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Enormously serious piece of scripture there. You know, I presume most, if not all of us here, are born again. To get saved, to be saved, you have to have, how, how can you put it, sincerity? within your heart. Salvation comes from God. And if you are born again, at some point in your life, God breathed sincerity into you. The grace of God touched you. And being and doing, it's almost like they became one. And your actions were completely true. What you did is you said, sorry God, and you meant it. And if you didn't mean it, you wouldn't have been saved. It wouldn't have been true repentance. The wonderful thing about salvation, it is off the Lord, it comes from God, and we start out the very nature of salvation. It, it, for, for, for me, and I presume for everybody, the first time in our lives that we're truly lined up and you know, completely truthful is at that point. And it's, I mean, you remember being saved? Do you remember that first inkling of salvation? Remember that light and how clean you felt and how good that made you feel? Like new life? It's absolutely fantastic. Wonderful. But you know what happens, folks? Here you are, you've, you've, you've been a normal person, you've been lost, you've been in the world. God's grace touches your life. And for the first time, you really mean it. For the first time, you really repent and everything's going well. Being and doing have truly become one inside you. And then what happens? You come into the church. <laughs> you come into the church and you know what? You look at other people, professional Christians if you like, and you begin to notice that you can learn to separate being from doing. You begin to notice, even though you're terribly sincere and you go, oh, but, uh, uh, but you don't know what to do and you're a new believer and you look at others and you know, you know in your heart that what they are doing is not lining up with what they're being. You know, but you don't know how to put it. You don't know where to hang it. And after a couple of years, before you know it, guess what's happened to you? You've become part of the church. You've become like everybody else. If I can use the word duplicitous, 
you know? And that is incredibly dangerous. It's awful. It's horrible. It's not the life that we're destined to. A few weeks ago, remember when we looked at the fact that God holds us responsible for our feelings? Remember that? That we're accountable before God for how we feel, and we can control those things, right, and take ownership of them. Well, surely, folks, the root of so much evil and the, the root of so much you know, lostness in our churches and loss of direction is right here. It's, it, it, it is the separation of what I do from who I really am. It is the separation. Could I have the next slide? Look at these. These are the seven modern sins. Now, we looked at these before. Seven modern sins. Sins of a modern society. These were actually constructed. Does anybody know who wrote these? You should know, Divya, Babu. <laughs> Gandhi. These, these were Gandhis, but I think they're excellent. Look at what he, every single one of these so-called seven modern sins involves the separation of being and doing. Every single one of them, as Gandhi saw the world, involved the separation of my feelings or my emotions from who I am. Wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, science without morality, knowledge without character, politics without principle, commerce without morality, and worship without sacrifice. And I think Gandhi was on the right road. And we as a church are doing a series on this right now to try and reconnect that part of you, right? And, 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 and to make us whole as Christians. Now, Gandhi saw this problem. This is not a new thing, folks. It's nothing new. It's an age-old problem. In fact, Scripture gives us the most shocking and surprising of answers. And if we as a church, or if you as an individual, listen everybody, if we as a church, or if you as an individual ask God this, and you say, God, make me whole again, reunite that inner part of me, make me that you know, true person, that genuine person again, and you say, God, how will you do that? Guess what his answer is? <laughs> fast. He says, fast. And that's what Isaiah is all about. As I say, this is a very key part of Scripture. But it's not just any fast. It's not just fasting in any religious way. Next slide, please, Dan. Take a look at this. This is shocking, folks. Isaiah's speaking to a synagogue. And in the synagogue, there's a group of people, and they're coming every Saturday, and they are bowing down before the Lord. They are seeking hard after God. They are praying constantly. Their delight is in the Lord. They are fasting, and they're confessing their sins. What does God tell Isaiah to say to them? He says to Isaiah, Go and rebuke these people harshly. Wow. It makes me think, what chance do I stand in? <laughs> That's what God said. He said, go to this people who are bowing down, seeking my face. Their delight is in me. They're confessing their sins. They come before me every day. Look at what they are doing. What they're doing stirs up my wrath. You can imagine Isaiah like, receiving that word. And God says, they're doing this, but it's what they're not being that upsets me. 
They bow down before me, but do they care for the poor? They come and they speak into my face and then they ignore their brother. They fight amongst themselves and think that their worship or their praise or their doings are acceptable to me and they are not. Do you get it, folks? Do you understand? It was a people who, like us, had started out on the right road. But religion takes a hold of us. And before we knew it, before we know it, we're carrying out actions without the feeling or the emotion, as I say, that we are accountable for. And you can just look at these things one by one because they are truly shocking. He says, they bow down before me, but they do not care about the oppressed. They do not care about the poor. That's an indictment, folks. An absolute, by the way, you don't have to go anywhere to find the poor or the oppressed. They're all around us. They're everywhere. They're on your left and right. Okay? Religion will tell you, next year, next year you'll do something. Forget it, folks. Forget it. Do you know the most oppressed people group on the earth at the moment, probably? There are trains. There are trains. And we as a church, I thank God for that. I was in tears about that. It was over on my face before God in the church about a month ago. And I was thanking God with all my heart for this one thing, that when Johan came to Glasgow, he ended up in our care. Hallelujah. That's a great honor. Thank you, Jesus. Johan's brother spent three years in prison because he was a pastor. Johan's sister spent three years in prison because she was a Christian. The, the, the Eritreans are being brutalized, abused, disfigured. Their organs are being stolen by the Bedouins in the Sinai Desert. I'm sure you know about that. They must be, they're like a football. They're a particular, the devil's a bully, absolute bully. And on earth, the Eritrean people have no one to speak up for them, right? Which is why Stephen's quite rightly put that petition over in the church. So I thank God that they're here, right? So you don't have to go and look somewhere else. We already have people on our doorstep who need you to embrace them, who need you to care for them. And not just the Eritreans, but also those from Pakistan who have fled persecution or any other part of the world. But God takes this incredibly seriously. Remember I, I told you about um, R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall preaches in, in Westminster Chapel in London, and he was concerned about the evangelism within his church, that it was dead and nobody was getting saved, and he thought, well, who's the best evangelist I can invite? So he invited Arthur Blessed. You know Arthur Blessed? Travels the world carrying a cross. He's fantastic. So Blessed comes in, and they pray in the church, and Kendall gets his evangelism team together, and he's designated Bold Street in London. This is where they're going to go to evangelize. So time comes, in Jesus' name, amen. Out they go. They get all the evangelism team, and they start walking off, and they suddenly realize that Arthur Blessed is still at the church door. So he says, stay here, and he goes back. And Blessed is talking to this little guy he met on the doorstep of the church on the way out. Ten minutes go by, 20 minutes, and R.T. Kendall is fuming. <laughs> Because the team are all waiting. We need to go to Bowl Street. We need to go to Bowl Street. And in the end, Blessed leads this guy in the sinner's prayer, closes, says, goodbye, this is the church, this is where you come. Goes to Kendall, and he can see that Kendall is fuming. 
And he says, what's wrong with you? And he says, well, the team's waiting. We need to go to, we need to, go to Bold Street. <laughs> and Blessed said, what's it with you in Bold Street? What's wrong with that man? What's wrong with this guy? Why can't you evangelize him? Why do you need to go here? But isn't that us, folks? Isn't that religion that will deceive you? That it's always over the hill? That it's always someone else? Jeanette, if I can't love you, then there's big problems for me. It really is doing and not being. Charity begins at home. Love begins at home. Amen. Husbands are very quiet now. (laughs) He said to them, I've got to be careful, folks, that I haven't been in church too long. That's what I've got to be careful of. And I haven't become duplicitous in these ways that my actions are now all about doing, but there's no feeling or emotion behind them because God obviously doesn't like that. Could I have my next slide, please? Take a look at this. Sorry, this didn't come out very well. Looks like a bird having a poo-poo, doesn't it? Um, it's, it's actually a, an aeroplane dropping aid, okay? And the second slide, can you see what that is? It's Mother Teresa being and doing. See this aeroplane that drops aid? That's a very good thing. I'm not mocking it or ridiculing it. Praise God for that. But there's a big difference between being a giver that sends aid on an aeroplane that flies over a desert that doesn't touch anybody. And being Mother Teresa who's down amongst the people. Do you understand? There's a big difference in the two. Being and doing. And God wants the second bit. He wants us to be doers of the Word. And I think may God give us all some challenges and examples in our lives that can provoke within you some reality. We ran a drop-in center for heroin addicts in Dublin for three years. And that place became very famous. Not hundreds, but thousands of people passed through our doors. And pastors used to come and say, what are you doing? How did you see that success? What's happening in here? And everybody was talking about our doing. And you could very easily be deceived about yourself. You could very easily, you know, slap yourself on the back. Oh, aren't we doing well? And you know what happened? I was in the building one day, and a drug addict came rushing in through the door, and he said, I forget the guy's name, he's overdosed across the road. He's dying. I can't stay. I'm getting out of here. I thought, whoa. There was a shooting up then across the street. But the trouble was, it was about six foot drop. I'm frightened of heights. I've always been frightened of heights. And it was about a six-foot drop down to the drug den. And plus, it was full of needles, syringes with blood and all that stuff, you know? But of course, we care for the drug addicts, don't we? Do we? (laughs) Do we? Do we? And the guy was in trouble or whatever that was with the fellow who overdosed, and he ran away. So I ran over to the hole to the big place they used to jump down into it and I looked down and there's a guy lying down there and he's dying and I was overcome by fear actually not just of the height but also all the syringes down there you're going to have to jump on blood my friend so I went oh god what oh god and I just waited and I didn't know what to do I wasn't willing to step down and I don't wasn't long it was like a minute minute and a half And the same guy who told me 
told a couple of other drug addicts up the road. Well, they came running down, pushed me out of the way, jumped into the hole, grabbed the guy, and we yanked him out of there. And he was, he lived. No problem. But I remember that day being challenged and convicted. How deep is your love, Mr. McKeever? How deep is your love? And I felt a complete fake. I felt a fraud. I, I was more like a pilot than I was like Mother Teresa. And when the rubber hit the road, when my life was on the line, I was not willing to get into that pit. Well, Jesus Christ is not like that. Hallelujah. He stepped down from glory and steps down into this world, and He mixes it with us. And I thank God for that challenge, wake-up call, that reality check in my life. And I pray that God gives you one too and shatters your illusions about yourself because that's what he was doing in Isaiah. You think it impresses me because you come and worship in the church? Do you, do you actually think that's impressive? Because you bow down, you raise your hands, because you confess your sins? You think that, did you honestly think that that's what I was looking for? Some form of religion week by week? Did you not know? Did you not listen to what I said? It was the being part I wanted from you. It was your heart I wanted. He says the most amazing things. Listen, God says through Isaiah, these people come to me and they confess. <laughs> what's wrong with that, Lord? Do you know what's wrong with that? They were confessing, but not forsaken. When you got saved, you not only confessed your sin before God, but you turned away from it. And that's how you got saved, right? And you walked like that for a while. But you know what happens? After a while, you start to do and not be. You start to confess, but not forsake. And we get into the habit, and you can point the finger at the Catholic Church. You don't need to. We can look at ourselves. We get into the habit of coming to church Sunday after Sunday and thinking it's great because we say, oh God, wasn't I rude? Oh God, wasn't I bad? And then go back out and do the same thing. And such behavior is detestable to God. We fool ourselves. We fool ourselves. And Isaiah is the greatest wake-up call. Could I have Isaiah up, please, Dan? I, I, I love this picture. I found this. This is Michelangelo's picture, a painting of Isaiah. He also did some line drawings. Now, I'm no... Um, buff on, on classic art. But this one picture really spoke to me. I, I saw another version of it when I got saved, and I've kept it, but I couldn't find the book. This is Michelangelo's image of Isaiah. And all I can say when I see that is, Michelangelo read the book. <laughs> he read the book, and I think he just captured the disdain not a wicked disdain. I think he captures the nature of the prophet. I've told you many times about my father. Uh, he was a unique individual, a, a very influential person in our circles. Not that they were big circles, but everyone who knew him was deeply moved by my dad, including me. Profoundly, yet he never said anything. He was being that good person, that deep Christian and it took me years to figure out what is the difference between my father. You see, he was a Catholic, folks, a, a devout, honorable Catholic. And I, when I got saved, I left Catholicism and I come in here. Well, guess what? 
My dad's more godly, more sanctified, more spirit-filled than most of my Pentecostal brothers. Do you understand? And that so confused me. It really did. And it took me a long time to figure out, Daddy, what is it about you? What have you got? What's different? You know what it was? We confess our sins, folks. But my dad definitely forsook. He confessed and he left them. And I'll, I'll say this for him. And this was something I was jealous for all my life. My parents, both of them, you confess your sin, I confess my sin. I'll say this for my parents, they hated sin. And I can't say that of me. I wish I could. Forgive me, folks, I'm just telling you the truth. I'll confess my sin. I'll forsake my sin. But their godliness came from a deeper place. They hated sin. Are you with me? You don't need to put your hand up. But I want to get to that place. I want to get to the place of godliness where I actually hate evil and love good. My dad was in his 90s. And I remember the purity. Some things only happen with age, right, Isabel? Some things only happen, you know, with the elderly. Like God said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What did he say? When you are old. When you are old, Peter, I know you see something. I know you're doing lots of stuff, Peter. And I know you're aware that you're a little bit of a fake. But rest assured, Peter, some things take time in life. And Peter was sincere. He just wasn't there yet. And so Jesus greatly comforted him and assured him by saying, when you're old, you will love me just the way you want to. Look at Philippians a second. Philippians chapter 2 shows us how Jesus had to both be and do. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. In fact, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, what? What does it say? Who? Being. Who being in very nature God. And then if you slip down to verse 8, he was found as a human being, and being found in likeness of a man. And there you have the two. We somehow have to bring together the parts of us. Remember a few weeks ago, we were looking at body, soul, and spirit. Remember I was mentioning about the three types of body. The reason fasting is important, folks. Everybody look up. Full attention. You need to hear this because you need to understand why you need to fast. Your, let me put it like this. Your soul, spirit, body. Right? The sincerity of you, the God part, is all that you want. It's your being. And the soul, if you like, is your doing. In the middle, what's in the way? Body. How do we decrease the body? Fast. Fast. Mortify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. And you will find, just like at your salvation, that the being and the doing parts of you will fuse and become one. And you'll become that holistic Christian that you know you should be. That kernel of faith, that seed of the Spirit is within you. But your flesh blocks it. Right? That's why Jesus had to fast. That's why we have to fast. Isaiah 58 is really split into two sections. The opening part is a scathing, harsh criticism of religion and the church. 
But I know that these people must have had something good within them. Even though God, through Isaiah, gives them an absolute whipping, he doesn't stop there. There must have been something good within them because he goes on to say, I know you're fasting. I want to change the way you fast. God believed in them. He believed that there was something good enough in them, a motivation that he could build on. And I'm sure that that's in you too. But don't waste your fast. Don't waste your energy. But listen to what God says. In fact, in Isaiah 58, when he tells them how to fast correctly. Could I have the next slide, please? These are the promises he says will come to us if we learn to fast correctly. Light, health, righteousness, just to begin with. If you fast correctly, your light will break forth, your health will quickly appear, and your righteousness will be seen by all. Massive, huge promises. Great promises. Look, I know many of you fast on a regular basis. We have to fast because we preach a lot. I never eat when I preach, and that becomes a problem when you do four or five days. So I'm I'm accustomed to fasting, and I'm accustomed to the problems that it brings up within people and within me. But I wasn't always. Look at these first three. For example, your light, your health, and your righteousness. See if you go out of here. See if you fast tomorrow, right? You fast Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And you say, right, I'm not going to eat. Monday comes. You don't have breakfast. You don't have dinner. And you get home in a bad mood. (laughs) And, And you find that you're irritable, angry, impatient, bad tempered. You find a mood swing. And you think, mistakenly, you think that you're annoyed and you're angry because you're hungry. But you're not. That's not the reason. You're angry because you've got anger in you. That's why you're angry. And the fast is revealing the content of your heart. You're being percolated. Okay? And God is beginning. So don't resist it. Don't say, well, I'm in such a bad mood. I'm in such a foul temper. I may as well have something to eat. No, you may as well repent. And get that thing out of your system. Don't resist the work of God on your flesh. Amen. Let Him reveal to you the things that are within you. Here's your soul. Here's your spirit. That body needs to be broken. Crucify the flesh, He says. And as you fast, these things will begin to arise. Maybe things that you never dream of. Things you would never even cross your mind can surface within you. Don't resist it. Let God do His good work. You're being made whole. He says that your glory will appear. And a wonderful verse. Look at verse 9 in Isaiah 58. Look at verse 9. I'll just find this here. This is an amazing promise. Verse 9 says that then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, here I am. You know, we were out in the ice yesterday, and Jeanette got out of the car, and she stood on the ice, and she was, oh, where are you? I said, I'm here. <laughs> and I was right there. And it is an amazing promise. How would you like that every time you prayed, God would let you know that he's there? If you do away with the pointing finger, if you do away with malicious talk, 
If you give yourself to the hungry and to the poor and to the needy, there's a promise right there. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God promises to say to you, here I am. Now that's fantastic, folks. Absolutely fantastic. How reassuring is that? In verse 11, he promises guidance. Gazillions of you have asked for guidance. I know. Because I've sat with you as you've sought God for where to go and what to do and what country, what city, what course, what job. Well, this is an amazing scripture because right here, God says, you know what? You look after the poor and I will guide you always. Wow. You look after the poor and I will guide you always. He promises us satisfaction, something that you don't get enough of today. Satisfaction and refreshing. In fact, people don't even understand what satisfaction is anymore because of the world we live in. You know when you have Christmas dinner? That's not satisfaction. (laughs) After Christmas dinner, the way you're feeling, that's not called satisfaction. That's called being stuffed, right? So there's being stuffed, which is an extreme, and there's being hungry. Satisfaction, which is a promise for those who fast. It's neither of those. Do you know what satisfaction is? It's when you can say, you know what? I don't need it. Do you want another piece of turkey? Do you know what? I'm absolutely satisfied. That's a great thing. It's like contentment. And it's one of the greatest blessings that a human being can have in their lives is simply to be contented or to be satisfied. Once again, it's something you most often find in those who are more elderly because they've been through life and they know what this world can offer and what it cannot. Number nine, we're promised that if we fast, we will gain work that will endure. Now, we, as I say, we fast nearly every week and have done for 20 odd years and that's not easy because you end up with people trying to feed you all all the time right and it is not easy and people get upset but that's life because I I believe some things only come this way How, how, how many debates did we have over the last three weeks when we were traveling every city you go to we're taking you to this restaurant you're not taking me anywhere poor Jason had a fridge full of food when we arrived he had a fridge full of food when we left I said, I'm sorry, man. I bought all, I don't care what you've done. I'm not here to eat your food. We've got work to do. And some things come through fasting. Now, come on, boy, let's do our work here. Not here to eat. We're here to build a church and build a kingdom. Now, pray with me. Come on. Amen. Some things only come through fasting. Look at the list of promises. What more do we want? Great promises from God for your life for your future. No wonder we struggle. Work that will endure. Both Pastor Tom here and myself, both facing new challenges, both facing new beginnings. You as a church, a great hope is set before you. But I warn you folks, fast. What did Jesus do before he started his ministry? He fasted. He fasted. And in that fasting, he received, do you know what was happening? He's human, you see. He'd become human. And he had to get the two together. He was bringing, the, destroying the flesh so that he could do his ministry. The being and the doing. He had the same problem that you and I have. 
And we can see how he dealt with it, and we got to do the same thing. Now, at the end of a meeting like this, it's always the same. The people ask the same questions. How? How do I fast? Well, very easily. You can fast whatever way you choose. You can fast partially. I know some of the Africans fast fully. In other words, food and water. Never tried that one. I've always taken water. You can fast from food. Above all, you fast from sin. You can fast simply from the pleasures of this life and put yourself, you know, turn the telly off, whatever, and set yourself apart in the presence of God. And you will find that God will run to meet you, right? You will find He's ready for you, been waiting for you, not you for Him, but He's been waiting for you to silence your flesh so that He can begin to once again marry your soul and your spirit. And some people will say, as you know, several people have said to me over the years, well, I don't fast. <laughs> I don't believe in it. It's not for us. Well, take a look at Matthew a moment. Take a look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15. Look at this. Because Jesus, Jesus contradicts anyone who says they won't fast. If you're a Christian here this morning, take a look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15. Jesus was questioned about fasting. And Jesus, uh, I'm in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. Jesus answered them about fasting. How can the guests of a bridegroom mourn? Because Old Testament fasting was to do with repentance and mourning more than anything. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then, what? Then they will fast. So in other words, in the old covenant, they fasted because Christ had not come and they were mourning and crying out for him to come. But Jesus says, in the last days, you will fast. The time will come when my followers, my believers will fast. And once again, that's a hope, that's a great hope that he has set in us. Turn to Matthew, in fact, further on in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25. Peniel brought this out on in our cell group this week. I thought it was excellent. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. Everybody turn to this, please. I want you to see this in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Now, if you're, if, oh dear, if you're saved here, when you die, you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, right? And Scripture gives us the very unusual warning about what is going to be said and what Christ is looking for in us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now look at verse 35. Jesus has just returned and he's talking to you. For when I was hungry, he's back with the poor again. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was an Eritrean stranger, you invited me in. When I needed clothes, in the shoebox appeal, for example, you clothed me, you look after me. I was sick and you were there. And the same Jesus goes right back. Imagine, folks, when you appear before him, you die and you stand before him. 
And it says many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy? God, didn't we heal the sick? I don't see Jesus looking for that. You see? Look, everybody look up. See this? My Bible, right? There's the Old Testament. There's the New. If I split the Old Testament in two for the bullseye, you know where I think you'll land? Isaiah 58. The heart of God is love. The heart of God is you loving people. Isaiah 58. And see my New Testament? See if I split it in two? You know where I'll end up? Matthew 25. With Jesus saying, you're going to stand before me and I will ask you the very same things that I told you to practice in Isaiah. I don't want your worship. I don't want your worship if you do not care for the poor. Be silent. Better you be silent. Not just do, do, do. This church has got a fantastic year ahead of it. Right? These are difficult truths, folks, I know. But they're good, aren't they? Isn't that exciting? It's all the more exciting because of the great promises that God makes here. Huge promises. Now, let me finish with this scripture. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. This is important. Again, please turn to it. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Something when Jesus was talking about fasting. Remember, there are things that we do publicly, and there are things that we should do privately. And there are things that we do both publicly and privately. And Jesus is very particular, because some of you, listen to me, folks, please listen. You can fast all week and waste your time. I, I believe me, I promise you. Your fasting can be worthless, so don't waste your time. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, not if, when. He believes that you're going to do it. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head. And wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now Jesus goes on. Th three different things in these scriptures he mentions. Look up a minute. Fa remember we did it a few weeks ago? Fasting, praying, and giving. Remember? And he says, I want all three done Publicly, we are to bring our offerings publicly, we're to fast collectively, we're to pray together, the church prayer meeting. But listen, folks, that's just one part of it. He also commands, but, last slide, please, fasting for the Father's reward. And Jesus says the only way that your fasting will have any benefit is if nobody knows. Now, I challenge you, Pui, Fast for seven days on water only and tell no one. Do you know how hard that is? <laughs> if you fasted for two days, you'd tell the whole world. I'm fasting. Hey, I'm fasting. Hey, yo, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. Did everybody hear? I'm fasting. You get it? Have you any idea how hard it is to give secretly? Any idea? 
to fast privately? Now, I know there's public aspects to giving, folks. There is. But you need to understand that some things will not work. Some things will not work. And we need breakthroughs. So there needs to be a little bit of privacy where people think you're not fasting, not giving, not praying. Because therein lies all of these promises and only there. Okay? So I challenge you. I'll ask you the same question I asked you a few weeks ago. When was the last time you fasted and told no one? When was the last time you gave and told no one? When was the last time you prayed sacrificially and told no one? Now, if you fast and tell everybody, is there a, is there a reward for that? Yes. <laughs> Wrong answer! <laughs> Yeah, do you know what it is, Everson? Jesus said, if you fast and you tell people, they have their reward in full. So he said, so there's a reward. That those who give and tell everybody about it, pray and tell everybody about it, fast and tell it, they have their reward. So there is a reward for fasting for the wrong reason. What's the reward? The applause of men. That's the reward. Because when you tell people you've been fasting for a week, they will look up to you. They will admire you because of your doings. But God rejects it. He despises it. And we're back in Isaiah 58 again. He said, that's not what I'm after. That's not what I'm asking for. You understand? So there is a reward. But I hope that you and I and we can purify our motives and get some private Christianity going on. I was writing some letters to various pastors yesterday with the closet prayer life that we did here, remember? And the CD in that, and just asking different men to establish this. And I want to ask you in six months' time, are you praying privately? Have you established that? And then I'll just leave you alone. That's your private world. But to begin with, we need to start it. So I'm going to hold you accountable to praying in private, okay? So for the first little while, I'm going to know about it, but then I don't want to know. It's over to you. Okay? Hallelujah. I know that's, that, that's heavy stuff, folks, but it's timely because the new year starts in a few weeks, and that's a very important milestone, can be a very important milestone, sure, for this church. So take it seriously, embrace it with all your heart, and bring those two parts of you, the spirit that lives in you, the good spirit that lives in you, and your soul. Bring them together in unity, right? Through being and doing in the way that you know we can and we should. I'm going to invite the worship team back and just bow your heads and remain seated. In just a moment, before the worship team started, just ask Pastor Tom if he would prepare himself to pray over us, to pray over us for the launch of the new year, to pray over us as we seek God secretly for unity within ourselves. Behold, the Lord our God is one. He is one. And Lord, I pray that the, the doing part of us as individuals and the doing part of us as a church will become one. And we would not be as those in Isaiah who appeared one thing, but were actually another. Forgive God, forgive us, forgive the church for any hypocrisy that may exist. Cleanse us from the inside out. And may we mature and grow.
In Jesus' name.